All right, we're on the spiritual gifts, the permanent and the temporary. In today's evangelical world, two popular uh, positions about the sign gifts. They are what is called the non-cessationalists, which are, the non-cessationalists are that uh, the gifts are uh, permanent in the church age, all the gifts. The cessationist, on the other hand, believes that there are certain gifts within the church age that are foundational and cease at the end of the apostolic age. So uh, we take a look at that, that this morning. The spiritual gifts that are in question are number one, the apostles. And you know this as well as I do, there are foundational gifts for the building of the church and these gifts include the writing of scripture, uh, the delivering of uh, teaching or dogmas directly from the Spirit himself. These uh, gifts, the apostles, were accompanied by miracles, by healings, and by tongues. Since they're foundational gifts, they are by nature temporal. In Ephesians 4, 11, to 12. If you read it quick, go ahead. If not, I will. Somebody got it? You're right there in front of you. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Read the next one too, will you please, Ryan? Yeah, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together in a, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Okay, we're in the church building, and if you took every story of this building to be a hundred years, we would be on the 21st floor. So we're a long way from apostles and prophets who are the foundation. Furthermore, we have prophets. The New Testament prophet has the same function as the Old Testament prophet, and prophecy was a supernatural gift whereby the prophets were able to reveal to their audience new truths directly from God. Robert L. Saucy says, prophecy in the biblical sense is speech which is inspired by the Spirit and therefore totally true and authoritative. Remember in the Old Testament when you had a prophet? Uh, what, what did you do when you had a prophet and he made a prediction that it didn't come true? Killed him. Yeah, you killed him. Now we're in a day of grace, we don't do that. But so the point is, they spoke directly from God and what they said was totally true and authoritative. That's what a New Testament prophet was. Furthermore, uh, we talk about, uh, oh, did we read? No, let's read Ephesians 3, 3 to 5. Ephesians 3, 3 to 5 should be on your page, your page 2. Got it? Read it. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in Greek. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. 
Okay, and the foundational gifts, you have his holy prophets, or holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, revealed truth that was not known in the previous generations, namely the church. Miracles and healings is another gift that is in question between the non-cessationists and the cessationists. The Greek word dunamis is uh, used 120 times in the New Testament and is normally mostly translated miracles in English translations. 2 Corinthians 12.12 12. The signs of the true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Okay, so signs, miracles, and wonders were also displayed by the, by the apostles. And they were to authenticate the fact that they had been with Christ. In other words, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Revelation. And so how did you know this person had been by Christ? He did the miracles that Christ did. You look in the book of Acts. Look at all the miracles that were done in the book of Acts. And he's verified that these uh, men had been with Christ. Look at Hebrews 2.4. Someone read that. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Okay, how do we know? They gave the truth. They were, ver they were uh, testifying with them by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the phrase, gifts of healing by the Holy Spirit, in the NASV, where the word is healing is translated uh, is a translation of one Greek word, isma, which is the primary word for healing in the four Gospels. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. Since tongues are a foreign language unknown to the speaker, it is a miracle every time biblical tongues are spoken. The gift of interpretation of tongues is also a miracle, since a person interpreting the gift of tongues is interpreting a language unknown to him. So it's two. Okay, let's look at the bit. We're going faster than that, so you can raise questions if you want. Otherwise, I'll, we'll be out of here at 9.30 and we'll have coffee time. Pastor Al? Yeah. Could you kind of define miracles a little bit too? Sure. A miracle is where some act of nature is overdone. Over in other words, uh, dismissed. Uh, in other words, it's a passing from one to another. For example, in healing that Jesus did, when the man, I just read it this morning in my Bible, uh, chapter 5, where the guy was laying by the pool for 38 years, and Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. He rose, took up his bed and walked. Look at the things that, that were, that, that were uh, he didn't have to have therapy, he didn't have to have an operation, he didn't have to have medicine. Or for another reason, a miracle, five loaves and two fishes feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. The miracle of the seven fishes, is it? Where Jesus fed 4,000 men and none of the uh, fish that was created were caught, dried, and none of the bread was baked. All of that happened just instantaneously. 
the sun coming up and the moon coming up is not a miracle. It's providence of God. And uh, your salvation is a miracle, but hard to any miracle, if any, are, are done today. People, people, we use the word very loosely. You know, a guy goes in and uh, he's got cancer and they open him up and they shut him and the next time they look at him he has no cancer. Uh, there's a possibility that certain cancers are killed by air. That doesn't happen very often. Or you're in a car. I was in a car accident that killed my wife instantly. I climbed up over the top of the door. The whole top of the car was peeled off and I just had a broken rib and uh, glass all over me, but that was not a miracle, that's providence. Nothing was skipped there. It was just the uh, providence of God, right? Can you draw, draw out the, uh, the miracle of interpretation of the tongues a little more? Okay, when, uh, when tongues were spoken in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, you had to have an interpreter. And if you didn't have an interpreter, you were to keep quiet. And the interpreter would say what this guy supposedly said in this foreign language, which nobody else understood. So, okay, okay, you had a church where everybody spoke English. Somebody gets up and, and rattles off Swahili. Anybody here know Swahili? No. I think I'm safe in that. <laughs> But somebody says, I, I, I'll interpret that. And he has a gift of interpretation of Swahili. God, the Spirit gives him the interpretation of Swahili, and he tells the congregation what he said. Otherwise, Paul says in that old section, what good is it? If you get up and say something and nobody knows what you said, what's the value of that? There might be some blessing to the person, but there's no blessing to the congregation. So Paul makes a big point of the fact, speak in prophecy, at least then people can understand what is said. The whole church is edified. Otherwise, he says also in that section, you're mad. People come in and say you're mad. We had some people that came in church uh, one time and they, they were sticking around and I said, we were talking about it, so, uh, they moved to Kansas City and I said, what? What brought you here? He said, we went to a church and and all at once they did some gobbledy gook and they all ran to the front and they piled on one another like you would at a fumble in a football game. He said that was it. That's weird. So the tongues are actual language. I believe they are, yes. Yeah, Me too. Would you say... In a, when I was going through that chapter, the, the requisite of interpretation kept the corporate body quiet. Yes. Okay. We're a little ahead of ourselves in this, but uh, we're here to answer the questions. And you, you raised the question in my mind, which I have now forgotten. Um, go ahead. I thought it was interesting when you read Acts, when you read Peter's sermon, there were many people of different languages were hearing his sermon in their language. That's where we get 
That's where we get it. And you have no reason to substitute foreign language for tongues for gobbledygook. That means nothing. Furthermore, Mormons speak in tongues. Uh, not only that, in the same kind of that medicine men in Africa, in the very basic tribes, do the same thing. And Paul is very, very, uh, and, and it has to be done in order. Let one speak and another interpret. Let another speak in tongues and let another interpret. And no more than three. And, oh, I know I've raised a moment. Oh. The very fact, the very fact that the so-called scholars of the modern tongues movement will say that the tongue speaking in Acts 2 was actual languages. Okay? They'll admit that. But then here's the caveat. They say the new modern tongue speaking is the second or third wave. And it is not foreign language. It's a second or, I think we're on a third wave now. The third wave of the moving of the Holy Spirit. We're on that right now. Yeah, it's third wave and they call it personal um, personal language. So by admittance, so by admittance of that, they're admitting that tongue ceased at one point. First mm -hmm. Corinthians 13.8 says, whether there are prophecies, they will be laid aside. Whether there are tongues, they shall cease. And whether there is knowledge, it shall be laid aside. There are two verbs for knowledge and wisdom, and one verb for tongues. And the verb for tongues is pao, which means stop. When Jesus stood up at the lake and it was severe storm, he said, peace be still. Pao was used. What happened? The wave stopped. Calm. Calm. The wind stopped, the waves stopped. Now that's a miracle. Because when wind stops and you've got waves going, it takes a while for the sea or the lake or whatever to calm down, correct? He stopped both. Praise the Lord for that. we got a God that can do that, by the way. He's not so small enough that he's limited by his own rules. He made the rules. Jeez, that's what Jesus told uh, people when they complained about Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath. And furthermore, I didn't make it to be a burden to you. If your cow falls in a ditch, you can get him out. You made it a burden. Guy can't even be healed on a Sabbath. How pathetic is that? You have a paralytic, and Jesus heals him. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And the big issue in chapter 5 of John is, he did it on the Sabbath. Not Nobody cared about his soul. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how religion gets. It's more concerned about its religion than it is about the heart and feelings of men. What did you mean by second and third wave? Well, that's what they call it. Oh. 
Not, well, you don't call it that. Okay. Like the timing, the, the, timing. the first way. They have to explain. Okay. Okay. They have to explain the hundreds of years where no tongue speaking was done. Okay. Now, there's occasional heretical guy like Montanus who got up shortly in the second century and started it out, and eventually he claimed he was Christ. But he got into a Montanus movement of all kinds of fanatical religion. Church finally just dismissed the whole thing. Your um, mm -hmm. was he one of your teacher, Gromacki? Yeah, he wrote he wrote a very very good um, uh, in his in his commentary on First Corinthians, wrote a really good section on um, dispelling the continuation of tongues. Yeah, he, the first, the second, third wave. He also wrote a book on the modern tongues movement. Gromacki wasn't a teacher; he was a he was work earning his uh, THD, and uh, I sat in class with him, and we were both cheese, so I sat next to him. And that side is holier than the other side. Hey, Rod, can you go back to the healing of miracles? I get how it wouldn't be a gift for today as an apostle, but like, why pray for someone's healing nowadays if you don't believe they're healed? I mean, well, I believe God heals. But not miraculously. But when people use that it's a miracle, isn't it to give glory to God? To point to Him that it's not an act of miracle? <laughs> well, it's on your definition of miracles. My definition is that some act of nature has to be uh, like Jesus picking up an ear and sticking it on. Okay, I'll talk about it. Uh, let's go to the notes there on page... Um, um, okay, on page, should be on page, uh, I don't, I've got 40, but you should have something else. One, two, three, four. On healing or on? It's on miracles of healing. 3B. Okay, four. In the Old Testament, healings are, miraculous healings are very rare. Job informs us about his sickness and health. But it's Moses who gives us the ultimate statement on healing in the Old Testament. What does Job say? Read it, please. Quickly. For he inflicts pain and gives relief. His wounds and his hands are also healed. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Who gives the sickness? God does. Who? God. God. Well, look at the ultimate statement in Deuteronomy 32, 38. Somebody read that. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God beside me. besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. Wow. <laughs> See now that I, I am he, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. So every healing is of God, but also the sickness. According to the divine record, more are inflicted by God than are healed by him. Think of it. It's kind of hard on that health, wealth, and prosperity deal. <laughs> truly is. There are more... There were numerous miracles in Israel's exodus from Egypt 
and during the conquest of the promised land. Another period of miracles happened in the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha. But otherwise, in the Old Testament, miracles are rare. When you think of the time from Adam to Christ or Malachi, think of it. Thousands of years. Now, look at John, or excuse me, there were 400 years of silence from God between Malachi and the father of John the Baptist. Now that's not what I wanted. But uh, here I have it in the Old Testament. I thought I included it in here. Just think of the healings in the Old Testament. They were done by prayer, right? Mm -hmm. Which can take time. I pray that you, when you have pneumonia, and I begin to pray and say, help him get over his pneumonia, it may take a while to get over. But a miraculous healing would be what? Instantaneous. Instantaneous. But God's, God is still the one who heals. You get medicine and you get treatment for it, and God has gifted people to help us in our cursed world, to help us get over things in our cursed bodies. But, but think about the, I have it here somewhere I don't, in my notes, I think. But look at the healings in the Old Testament. Put your hand to your bosom. Remember he said that to Moses? He had leprosy? Or was it Miriam or one of them? Put your hand to your chest and the leprosy was gone. And leprosy was a horrible disease and there was no cure. How about the guy who, Nam, the Syrian, who came to see Elisha, and he says, okay, you go dip in the river seven times, Jordan River. So he goes there and he looks at it, it's muddy. And he says, you know, we have cleaner rivers in Syria. Why am I to dip myself seven times in this dirty old river? So a servant talked him into it. He dips himself seven times in the Jordan River, and what happened? He's healed. What if he'd only gone five? It's a miracle. And what else? There's another one or two. It's also obedience, too. Yeah, so obedience in that case. You know, and that's a lot of times mm -hmm. what God is worried about is our obedience. Okay, and in Elijah, and Elijah, remember this, the little kid that died? And Elijah goes and lays himself on top of him. And he's healed. And he's been dead for hours. Yes. I was going to say a lot in the Old Testament, a lot of the miracles are actually to inflict um, trial or tribulation too. Mm -hmm. Like the ground swallowing up the 400, the 10 plagues. the I mean, there's a variety. That yeah, the inflictions. Yeah, are <clears throat> to, like Keenan was saying, you know, to... Um, to cause obedience, a lot of them were miracles of infliction. Right. And further, yeah, and another one is, they were complaining so much that God sent a bunch of poisonous snakes among them. Mm -hmm. How were they healed? By looking at the... By looking up at the yeah, they elevated a, a snake on a brass pole. Whoever looked at it was healed. So there were some. 
When you come to the New Testament, John the Baptist is the first person mentioned. He didn't come. He didn't do one single solitary miracle that's recorded. Fact says he did no miracles. When Jesus came, there were a plethora of miracles of every kind, making water into wine, for example. How big a process was skipped there? Gapes, grapes not picked off vines, vine not grown, not crushed, not aged. And, G and the master of ceremonies said, this is the best wine, this is ridiculous. Normally, at a feast, you serve the best wine, and then you keep serving it, it gets poorer and poorer and poorer. And I'm not a wine connoisseur, so I can't tell you. But I can tell you, there's enough Christians that have told me how it works. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, what did Paul tell Timothy? Take a little wine, why? Why didn't he heal him? People brought all kinds of stuff to Paul and Acts. And he healed him. They brought hankies. They brought everything to Paul. And he touched it and he healed him instantly. But now he has Timothy. And he says, you know what, Timothy? You need to take a little wine, medicinal wine, for your oft stomach and ailments. And you know what? I left Trophimus at Miletus sick. Why didn't he heal him? You know why? It wasn't a part of God's plan. No, but it was also, that's true. And it wasn't part of God's plan that this particular age of miracles continue. But he had healed earlier. Yeah, that's my point. That's my point. Uh, Rod, Gilly in his book, he wrote almost all of the miracles that were done, almost in the whole Bible, that <laughs> he put on two pages. And he said that uh, miracles are not the subject here. In fact, most of the here miracles that were performed were done by specific people and never really from the common people. Not if true. You go, if you go to some of these things you hear in Africa and all over, they, they're very common people, and you hear these miraculous things that are seemingly <coughs> happening, which I, I don't know. I'm not there, so I don't know what's going on. But I, I kind of question some of those. I question you know them all. I mean? Yeah. Uh, I gave you the wrong name in 2 Timothy 4.20. It's Erastus remained at Corinth. But yeah, it is. But Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. 2 Timothy is the last book Paul wrote. Now, let me say, here's a conclusion. I'll just read the conclusion. It's in your notes after 3b, the last thing on 3b. The Bible teaches that God can sovereignly choose to heal whomever and whenever, but it will not be a frequent occurrence, nor will it be done through human healers. And then I give you a list to think about. Our problem is not sickness, it is sin. 
We focus more on sickness than sin. B, Christ's atonement primarily dealt with, that's a little wording bad there, primarily with sin, not on our sickness. There is healing in the atonement. Because ultimately, every person who believes in the atonement will live eternally without sin, sin or sickness. He wiped it out. Christ died for our sins, not our sickness. Christ was made sin, not sick. sick. Remember it says that, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Our bodies are corruptible, subject to sickness. The healing promises refer to salvation, not sickness. Our hope on earth is heaven, not on our healing. Talk to Chris. You're all going to die. You're either going to die by the so-called acts of God, or you're going to die through some human bodily failure. Correct? My friend sat down Friday night to watch TV, made a gasp, fell to the floor, and they couldn't revive him. He died. If you ask me, that's a good way to go. But I'm, that's not my choice. God sovereignly, Hebrews 9.27, has appointed the day of our death. And you're not going to miss it by 10 seconds. And you and I need to prepare for that day. Spiritually. We ought to thank God for the day that we have and live it to its fullest extent. Trust God. Thank Him that evening and pray the next morning. Help me to live for you today. Because in fact, it may be your very last and mine. And all God's people said, Amen. Just Ben's question is really good about you know, how we ought to pray. You know, if God doesn't miraculously heal, do we pray even to begin with? To for healing. Okay, we've been trying, praying here for Tyler Noonenkamp. Right. And, yep. and if you keep up with uh, what's going on that, I don't even know how the guy stays alive. Yeah, that's amazing. Now that's God sustaining his life. And you might say that's a miracle, but the doctors always seem to know what to do. There's nothing that, that's skipped. He doesn't su suddenly come and every kidney is healed. Or whatever the problem is, I'm just using kidney as an example. But I, but uh, man, the guy's been sick for a while, and I mean, drastic things have been done to this guy, and and the doctors and 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 the people that minister to him seem to know what to do, and uh, God, in His grace, gives him uh, another uh, day or so. But ultimately, what's going to happen? So what do I pray when I pray for Tyler? I pray that God's will will be done and that he will have peace during this time and ease from pain. It may not be that God's will is that he recover fully. 
But look at the glory to God that these people, Chris, Tyler, all of these people, and they've reached so many. Look at the glory to God sure. that's given. You know, you're not going to suffer forever. You're going to go to heaven and there will be no sickness. There will be no, no reason for preachers or physical doctors. I think that's a tough lesson. Um, Amy and I have, Brady's not as sick as Tyler or Chris, you know, thank Lord in his province there. We've had conversations with him that, listen pal, you, this this could just be how you are the rest of your life. Uh -huh. And and this is God's will for, you know, for you. We can certainly pray that, you know, by his providence, mm -hmm. by his grace and mercy that, um, that you get better, but, but this, this could be what it is. You know, it may be God's will that we suffer all our life. Right? Maybe God's will we have pain all our life. But I, what is the verse of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 say? It's never more than you can bear. Now what you think you can bear and what you can bear are two different things. I know I'm preaching to the choir and I'm passionate about this, but man, uh, I never saw, very seldom, let me put it that way, seen a couple like Rick and Chris who realized that the ALS was a gift of God for them and it was sovereignly given. Well, how many people say that, you know, in the trial they don't see it, but after the trial then they see the blessing in the trial. This couple did. Yeah. You know, and, there, and there's one thing we don't see. We don't see in a trial, you know, yes, we pray for God's providence and, and His plan and His purpose, but we don't know what His plan is with that. Mm -hmm. And then He is also tells us that we're supposed to pray, you know, if we, if we ask of God, so we can pray for healing, if that's part of His plan, too. Mm -hmm. James. That's what we pray. God's will be done. Right. But we should not pray for healing if we want that healing, mm -hmm. you know. But we don't know his plan is. Yeah, I've seen people who suffer who've gone to extreme measures to get out of the suffering. Haven't you? Mm -hmm. well, not maybe uh, that's God's will that they do suffer. Well, it's interesting. I mean, in James 1 tells us, you know, in every, in every trial, consider it pure joy, brethren, whenever you yeah. encounter every trial, yeah. every kind. Count it all joy. But then after, the prescription for what we pray is not for healing, right. but for wisdom. Now, I don't have, I don't, I, my, my favorite verse is in Philippians 3.10 that we, that I, that we may know, now I can't even quote, that I, may, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Man, I love that. But you know how the verse ends? and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I've had to think about that. I don't have, I don't know how I'll go to heaven. I hope it's the rapture, but I don't know my, as Chris called it, the chariot to heaven. I don't know that. But there are signs that it could end up with, in my body, with some cancer. Now, I, I don't want it, 
I don't look forward to it. I don't say, good deal, I'm going to get, probably get cancer someday. But I know this, and I have to believe this by faith, that God will give the grace to face whatever there is, and it will never be more than I can bear. I'll read a list this morning about Paul. What did this guy go through? And God told him up front, you're going to suffer a lot for my name. And he did. I mean, we got more health and wealth and prosperity in us than you think. Yes. Brian, James 5, 13 and on, when he's talking about sickness, like when we say sick, we think about physical sickness and illness and ailment. Is that the same reference, like a physical illness, like what we're talking about right now, or what is that? <coughs> that's a good James question. <laughs> there are, uh, that's a tough one for churches to handle. Now, some have explained that away as a sickness of mental sickness. I think it's a genuine sickness that you ask the elders to come, and then you read that passage, you confess sin, right? The sickness may be due to sin. And the elders pray over you, and God's will be done. Now... We've done that. We've had people come to us that had a terminal cancer or something else, and they wanted the elders to pray over them. And we as the elders met, and we've said, if any of you do not believe, because there's various views on this passage, if you do not believe that this, this is what it refers to, then don't participate. I believe it does, so we've gone over and we've had a great time with the people who are sick and we said it very well may be God's will that you have this till you die, but we'll pray for your healing. And uh, I'd have to admit that everybody we've done it with died shortly thereafter. So maybe you don't want to call. <laughs> or maybe it got so uh, Richard Mayhew has a, a book on healing and he uh, takes that and does it very sure but um, uh, Andrew that is a tough passage I'll admit it up front. We want to make sure the person, you know, there are certain sins you do. You drink too much, what happens? Smoke too much? There are certain things you and I do that are, that are harmful to our body. And uh, the result is uh, there's natural effects on that. Be not deceived, Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, what? That shall he reap. That shall he reap. And we've all had to reap things we wish we hadn't had to, wouldn't have sowed. 
So pray for healing, but pray God's will be done. I think in that passage, though, in 5, I've been through that chapter a lot, um, the emphasis is definitely on confession of sins. Mm -hmm. And whether that is linked to the sickness or not, you know, that, that's a bit debatable. But, the, but there's clear and concise language here that if there's sin, confess it. I've been involved in less than 10 of those, and we end up having a discussion, <coughs> even their fear of death. Yeah. We've got into that, and uh, we've got into other things. It, it, I, I would say it's a very rich time. Also, mentally, there's a lot of verses that talk about the man that has a depraved mind due to his sin as well. And mm. so, mental health wise, it's also sin has a. Mm. Effect on that. All right, any more questions, or should we move on to tongues a little bit? Go ahead. Can you, can you explain prophecy a little bit more? Um, you know, I, are we getting, we, are we aren't, yeah, I don't feel that we're getting prophecy anymore. When did that stop? What? Okay. Um, let me go back through my notes here a little bit. Um, page two. Page, bottom of page two. Page two. Okay, 38. Okay, bottom. Uh, this. The cessation for the sign gifts, the apostles, they all died. There are no apostles today. Because nobody today meets the requirements. Look at Acts 21, 21 to 22. They're, they're choosing a person for, to replace Judas. Now here are the requirements. Therefore, it's necessary that of men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us and beginning with John, the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, his ascension, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Does anybody meet that qualification today? No. So there are no apostles. But note this. People who believe in sign, gifts, and miracles, and tongues, you'll notice how often apostle or apostleship gets thrown into this discussion. We're the apostolic church. Interesting. Because they realize that these, that these gifts go with the apostles. Apostles died. The last one to die was John in 90 AD in the 90s. The last book he wrote was Revelation. Revelation. And what does Revelation say? No more. No more. No more, no more adding. Don't add to it and don't take away. Don't take away anything and don't add anything. If you have a prophet, he's adding. Mm -hmm. And if we still had Revelation given and a prophet gets up and talks, we all need to go find out what the last word from God is. We have the last word. Ryan. Uh, you just made a good point to me here. And, um, the uh, MacArthur's <coughs> Strange Fire deals with this quite a bit. And, um, and one of his points in there is that, the directly related to Keenan's question is, if there was more prophecy or even more tongues or more healing or whatever now, you, like you said, we got to now go find out, is this 
legit. Is this now has has the Lord somehow added to mm-hmm. what He said He would no longer add? And and Paul clears that up in chapter fourteen of First Corinthians. Like this is confusing. Tongues were for the unbeliever, not the believer. Prophecy was to legitimize and to to authenticate uh, what Christ, you know, what what God had said and prescribed by appointed men and so forth. I go off on this, but there's no more. No more. A prophecy, uh, prophecy is, is on one of these pages, I have this quote by Saucy. Prophecy is the direct communication from God to people. Like when Isaiah spoke, thus says the Lord. Jeremiah, thus says the Lord. We don't have that today. We have what the Lord said, written, so we can examine. You know, I could say, the Lord said today, and I could give you a statement or two of what he said today, and you would all walk out and have a different view of what it says. Correct? I could talk to John over here and we'll end with Ben. And I could say, I could give you a sentence, you tell it to Bill, you tell it to whomever, by the time we get to Ben, we don't even recognize it. You know that game. Mm-hmm. Now we have the written word of God, you can take the written word of God and grammatically tear it apart. You can take the subject, the verb, the predicate nominative, the object, the the uh, connecting words, uh, demonstrative pronouns, and all of these things, and you can examine them and see exactly what God said. And you can do that if you know Chinese, or you can do that if you know Japanese, Italian, or Swahili. Isn't that great? He wrote it down. No question. Is it in Daniel 9, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't he say, you don't need to understand, close the book. And don't you think nowadays there's not any more prophecy, but the understanding is coming about. People are understanding more of it because it's happening. Yeah, he closed the book because at Daniel's day that wasn't necessary to understand all the ramifications. But he opened it up again in the New Testament. Revelation. And that's a book that's... If you hear a church preaching through Revelation, you probably want to go there if you're looking for a church. Because most churches today don't touch Revelation with a 10-foot pole. And yet it's the only book that says if you read it, you'll be blessed. (laughs) So people don't want to be blessed. Okay, uh, does that help, Keenan? Yeah. Now, here's here was a very confusing thing about prophecy, and John MacArthur was one of them who confused it. In his early ministry, he taught that prophecy was preaching. And uh, he started a seminary, And he brought in some Bible scholars and they said, John, you better review this. And you better think this through. And he changed his position. 
John also had another problem, and that was when he started his ministry that the son, Jesus was only the son since his born. And uh, his same uh, colleagues who came with him said, John, you better review this. So there's a couple positions, but prophecy was really confused. But prophecy is more than foretelling. It is the same gift. There's no reason to make it any different than what the prophets of the Old Testament had who spoke directly from God to the people. Some were writing prophets, some were oral. And probably in the New Testament we had writing prophets and we had others who had the gift of prophecy. Even women had that gift. Acts. The daughters of Philip. Agabus was one uh, that came and talked to Paul at Caesarea before he went to Jerusalem to be arrested and said, don't go. And that was a prophecy of information, not a prophecy of prediction. So it had various aspects to it. Okay, take the last two pages of your notes and just go through this thing about tongues a little bit. Even when it was valid, take a look. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5. First one. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God. For to one who for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Three. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish you all spoke in tongues. Even more than that, you would prophesy. Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive the edifying. Verses 11 and 12. If I then do not know the meaning of the language, I will be one who speaks as a barbarian, and one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, Seek to abound for the edification of the church. 13. Therefore, let the one who speaks in tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It's even unfruitful to the person who speaks in tongue. Look at 18. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, mathematicians, what is the formula of that? Five over 10,000? Verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and speaks in tongues, and an ungifted or an unbeliever enters, they do not, will they not say you're mad? Verse 26, what is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble, each one has a psalm and has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. 
If anyone speaks in tongues, it should be by two or at the most three. Each in turn and one must interpret. But if there's no interpreter, what? Keep silence in the church. So in other words, the gift of tongue is just not some spontaneous outburst that they can control. It's controllable. Nobody's there to interpret. I don't have to speak in tongues. I just read a uh, just read Friday a church that one of my relatives is attending. In fact, one of our family is attending. I hope I have the opportunity to encourage him not to. But here's what they say. We are reformed in tradition, but we believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a special unction from the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, is, they say, is subsequent to salvation. We believe it is it is uh, simultaneous with salvation. You didn't even know it, probably until you read about it later. It is a placing of you into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. It's non-experiential. Conclusion. Then I, I, I said the women are to keep silent in churches for they're not permitted to speak. And subject, the subject of that section is tongues. If that were obeyed, I'd end the tongues movement. This tongues was revived in Topeka, Kansas in the, in the 40s by a woman. Mm -hmm. Started in Topeka, yeah. by the way. Ed got to Azusa, California mm -hmm. in the Azusa revival. And uh, that was the beginning of the first wave. Right. The second wave came later. Conclusion, modern tongues consists of unintelligible speech that does not conform to any human language. Modern gifts of healing do not compare to the miracles performed by Jesus. There's a Y missing there. By Jesus and the apostles. apostles. Incredibly, many continuous scholars acknowledge this discontinuity, arguing for a lesser and lower category of gifts in which to place these modern charismatic expressions. Such admissions, however, provide a tacit acknowledgement the true sign gift as depicted in scriptures have not continued. That's in the doctrine book by Mayhew, by MacArthur Mayhew. Conclusion. We don't speak in tongues here. Now, I'd say this. That because we don't agree with them and because they have the gifts does not mean they're all unbelievers. You are saved by grace through faith in the eternal work of Jesus Christ, not whether you speak in tongues or not. Okay? So you can speak in tongues and still be a Christian. Just like a lot of people don't have to believe in a rapture church. They still go to heaven. Salvation is based not on a doctrine necessarily. It's based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So don't condemn everybody that disagrees with you.
Father, help us to be gentle and loving in this, but help us to be also true, and help us to be able to encourage and correct those that have been misled. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.